Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. Welcome to the show, because you know if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, we are talking about it right here. To all of those who are joining us for the very first time, especially warm welcome to you. Be sure that you subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform so that you don't miss out on an episode. Also, be sure to catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have fun chats over there. We have polls. You have a chance to have some input into this podcast. So I love to hear from you and to connect with you over on social media. So be sure to check us out there. We're Christian Historical Fiction Talk. That's all you have to look up and you'll find us. Also, if you would like more information about today's guest or about the book that we're going to be talking about or a handy link in order to purchase the book, then head over to my website, which is liztolsma.com. All that information will be right there at your fingertips. You can just go to podcast and find a list of all of our episodes, catch up on some of the other authors and topics that we've had on the program, and listen to this week's podcast as well over there. Okay, I talked fast and I got all of that preliminary stuff out of the way so that we can get going with our guest for today because she's fabulous, a lot of fun, and I'm so thrilled to have her here. When I saw that she was coming out with a new historical, I knew I had to have her on the show. While a large floppy straw hat is her favorite, she has worn many different ones. Hairdresser, lobbyist, drama director, playwright, humor columnist, and best-selling novelist. Her lifetime experience provides a plethora of fodder for her southern fried fiction. She firmly believes that coffee and chocolate are two of the four major food groups. Oh, I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Her passion when she isn't writing her Southern Fried Fiction is community theater. She's creative managing director of Players Guild at Sugar Hill, a nonprofit community theater troupe where she and her husband act, direct, build sets, and are chief gophers. Contributor to the award-winning literary site The Right Conversation, she resides in Sugar Hill, Georgia with her artist husband, her chef son, and a rascally Rottweiler. If you haven't guessed it by now, our guest today is the wonderful and very funny Anne Mulligan. Welcome to the show, Anne. We are so glad to have you with us this week. Thank you, Liz. I'm delighted to be here. Why don't you go ahead and, for the listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself. Oh, it's always fun to do. I am Ann Mulligan. I write Southern Fried Fiction, and all of my books feature an ensemble cast of strong Southern women who are either sisters or friends. Besides writing my books, I like to be involved in theater. I'm the artistic director for a community theater in Sugar Hill, Georgia. Right now, I'm working on a series of books that are historical set in the Great Depression. The first book is in High Cotton. The second one is on Sugar Hill. And the third that's coming out next March is By the Sweet Gum. And then I'm working on the fourth, and that's called Up Level Creek. 
Wow, that's really interesting. So you're keeping busy with your writing then, aren't you? I am. If I'm not writing, I'm in the theater. And if I'm not in the theater, I'm behind my computer writing. Or you can find me in the green room at the theater writing. (laughs) There you go. Now, you mentioned that you live in Sugar Hill, Georgia, and the book on Sugar Hill is set in Sugar Hill, Georgia. Why did you pick your hometown as the setting for this book? Well, it's funny because the first book I was going to set in the area, and I discovered that there was not a lot of problems during the Depression because of the Bona Allen Tannery. Most people in the area had jobs. So I had to move the first book to South Georgia. But I wanted to come back to Sugar Hill because it's such a unique little town. It's a great city. And it was fun to put it in here and to take it back to actually before it was a city. Sugar Hill was a militia district, not a town until 1939. So I had to do a lot of research and most of it was not written. It was oral research. So it was tough because the city has no official history until after 1939. So before we go on too much further, I forgot to ask you to tell us a little bit about the book on Sugar Hill. What's it about? Oh, it's fun. It's about a young vaudeville star who had left home because of the abusiveness of her father, went to vaudeville and really was quite successful. She is a ventriloquist and a voice thrower. But her father killed himself after the stock market crash, and she had to come home to take care of her mother and her aunt. Then she meets an old flame from high school and ends up in love with him again, although there's a lot of problems between them too. So that's kind of the basics of it. This is part of a series, as you mentioned. Do you have to read the books in order or can you read them out of order? Is there a particular way to read them? There is no order to them. They are all standalone I did bring back two of the characters from the first book show up in a cameo appearance in the third book. And some of the characters from the second book on Sugar Hill show up in the fourth book because it also takes place in the town of Sugar Hill. But otherwise, they are all absolutely new characters and standalone stories completely. And that's how I read On Sugar Hill was as a standalone. I have to go back and catch In High Cotton. I read some great reviews about it, so I'll go back and catch that. But I read On Sugar Hill just by itself, and I didn't even realize that it was part of a series until later on. It was very good and very readable just by itself. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, it's... I like doing that on the third book by the Sweet Gum, and it comes out in March. It has some characters that are doing something similar to In High Cotton. They they were on a boarding house. In High Cotton, she owned a grocery store. But something comes up in the book where 
I didn't want to go through the same explanations that I did in the last one. So I brought two of the characters from the first book up to help them. And it was kind of fun. Like I said, they just show up for a short time and leave. But my editor loved the idea, so I went with it. Yeah, that is fun to be able to drop them back in and kind of revisit them a little bit. Yeah. Your tagline is Southern Fried Fiction. That's sort of your brand. Right. What do you mean by Southern Fried Fiction? Well, you know, it's funny because I did not brand myself with it. One of the members of the Writing Association, American Christian Fiction Writers, made a comment one time about my emails. And she said, you mean Southern Fried Fiction? And I, I had to stop and think about that. But I think it means there's some humor in it. Some of my books had more humor than others, but there's always a little bit of it in there. My agent loved it and had me roll with it. So that became my brand. Now, because of your books being set in the South, where you're from, where you're familiar with, and it's a very different kind of culture in some ways from the North, how do you think On Sugar Hill would have been different if it had been set in the North? Oh, that is a good question. It's funny because I spent four years in the North. There's a mindset in the South that the women can get it done. And it carries through, I think, in High Cotton, I was trying to get across the idea without stealing from steel magnolias, but that is so Southern. That is so much what women are like here. So I tagged it with women may seem as delicate as flowers, but there's iron in their veins. And that was the tagline for that book. And really, it could be for any of my books that way, that all of the women in my book seem to find that inner strength that they've got and don't realize. And at first, some of them don't and, and rely on it and help one another with it. Women are like that all over the world, I suppose, but there is a certain atmosphere here or a certain, I don't know what you call it, but the women allow themselves or like to be seen as delicate. So they look soft on the outside, but on the inside, they're a whole lot tougher than they first appear. Exactly. I think that's what, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the group. Well, I loved all of the characters in the book, but I especially loved the girls that made up the Dilly Club. Can you tell us a little bit about the Dilly Club? Yes, the Dillys. That, that's fun. I have always enjoyed my girlfriends. Growing up, I had lots of friends and I didn't have sisters, which eventually I discovered I did have. But I put into my books the relationships between the friends that I've always had and enjoyed. And the girls had their own club, which came out of their childhood. It was really, really fun to have them rely on one another. And two of the girls in there are very close friends of mine. And I use them and their names with their permission 
to really help create the really strong characteristics of these characters. It's fun to be able to draw on real life friends for that. They're the ones that show up too in the fourth book a little bit. Not a whole lot, but they're there. And we find out more about Cora and Boone. So it's kind of fun. Give some a little bit more of their story. Oh, good. So we have something to look forward to. We will hear more about Cora and Boone eventually then. Yes, you will. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I um, I thought, you know, and it's funny because in the first book, In High Cotton, one of my favorite characters in that book was not the main character, but her sister, Duchess. And I thought about writing her story from after that, but it didn't come. It didn't happen. I had no idea what I was going to do with that. So I just left that one aside and it didn't, I don't know if it'll ever happen or not. You know how that goes. Right. So it was fun to revisit some of the Dillies a bit. And like I said, it's not just the Dilly Club, but it's the entire book is loaded with these quirky, memorable characters like while Cora's mother and her aunt even are just really so much fun. How do you go about creating these characters and just stuffing your books full of these kind of characters? <laughs> yeah, in that book in particular with her story, it was a lot of fun. Those characters just kind of came to me. Part of it, interestingly enough, I was writing that story and setting it in the low country, which I love that area, but it got real dark. The whole book turned very dark and I do not write dark fiction. So eventually I had about 30,000 words and I had to stop and just delete the entire thing. I took a couple little parts of it. The ant was one part and in the first book, there was a reason that she was mute and it had been a horrific something that she came across. And again, it was getting dark. So I scrapped it all and I decided she's just plain mute. I loved the idea of that. And the relationship between her and her sister, I liked, but I just had to change it. And so they just took on life by themselves. I mean, I, I hadn't planned Fitzy quite like I did, but she, she was a hoot, wasn't she? She was, yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was a lot of fun and their relationship was a lot of fun to play with. So it's funny, some books, you get characters like that more than others. In High Cotton had some great characters and By the Sweet Gum does. So on this fourth book, on the fourth book, I'm finding some really interesting ones and pulled a new one. I'm about 30,000 words in on this one, and I had a brand new character come up on me, and it surprised me. I had no idea she was there, and that's kind of fun. I love it when that happens. That is always the best to have a great character just sort of pop up on you from out of nowhere. That one of the most fun things about writing, I think, is all the surprises that you get each day when you sit down to write. Even if you're a planner, you can still get a big surprise. 
You can, absolutely. I pulled a friend Rachel Hawk's word of plan stir because she has a plan and then she writes by the seat of her pants. And that's how I've evolved. When I started out, I was more of a planner and now I'm a lot more seat of the pants, but it's so much fun. What drew you to write about the Great Depression? Like you said, you would think they would be really dark books and difficult to write, and yet yours are so much fun. How do you do that? And what was it about the Great Depression that made you want to write about it? (laughs) You're going to laugh at this, Liz. When I was struggling, waiting to get published, because back when I first started writing, self-publishing was not a viable way to go. It was vanity and it was not good. And I worked very hard and long, took me 12 years to finally get a contract. And during that time, we thought, well, maybe historical fiction would be good. Gina Holmes was one of my critique partners and she suggested it. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Well, I fell in love with the story immediately. I was writing third person, past tense, contemporary. And this story presented itself in first person, present tense. And I, it surprised the daylights out of me, but I rolled with it. And I got a ways into it, but then my agent told me I had to make a decision whether I was going to write contemporary or historical. And I liked this era, but I wasn't sure about anything else historical. So I chose to go with the contemporary. Then eventually, after I'd published four books, I was looking into my next series and she told me that my brand had been set. Besides the Southern Fried Fiction, there's always that ensemble cast of strong women and it shows up wherever I write. So she said I could go with it. So I pulled out that Depression era story and finished it. And that's how that came about. And now my publisher likes the era. They don't have anybody else covering this era. And she said to stay with it up to right up to about World War II. And I'll leave that for the others. So I'm going to camp out here for a while and see what happens. Well, that's great for us historical fiction buffs. We're going to enjoy reading more and more from you set in this era. That's my plan. I really do like it. It's still a modern era, but yet not. There are still limitations that the people had on them. Not everybody had telephones and not everybody had cars and all those kind of things. So What was interesting, too, was finding out that in my area, they didn't have electricity until the 1950s. Oh, my. In houses. Can you believe that? I was so surprised. I'm not originally from Sugar Hill, Georgia. So I had to really work around some of those things because of the tannery. And they had hydroelectrics. The businesses were able to get electricity but not individual homes. And I thought that was quite an interesting bit of historical tidbits. (laughs) Yeah. How has your theater experience made you a better author? Wow. And the funny thing you say that, because I think that my writing has made me a better director. Uh, (laughs) You know, they really do tie together well, Liz. In one case, we create out of nothing a character. And in theater, you take 
a character that an author has written and you bring them to life, you bring them to the stage. And the two really do go hand in hand. I think as far as with my writing, I'm able to visualize the scenes as I would in a play and I can think out how I want it to look. So I think that visualization, because I'm definitely a visual writer, I have to surround myself with all of the things. I create maps of my towns and homes. I, I have a layout and create a map of it, a drawing of it. And sometimes I put them in the books and sometimes they don't, but it's the visualness of it that I think helps. So you mentioned that this one is the second in the series and you have two more coming out in this series, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. By the Sweet Gum is a really sweet story. Tagline on that is, she's bound by duty, he's tethered to a dream. And it takes place in a mill village. And the hero is a ball player. He works in the mill, but he likes to play baseball. And many of our pro teams in America came out of the mill village teams that every town had. And so I started with that. And then the heroine, her family manages a hotel in the mill village. The hotels then in a mill village were more like a boarding house. And although they did have people come and just stay for a night here and there, they acted much as a boarding house. It's interesting because mill villages in Georgia, the cotton mills, some of them were very, very good, a wonderful place to live and grow up. And others were very, very bad. And naturally, I chose a bad one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. We will be looking forward to that. And you said that comes out in the winter? In March. March. Yeah, 2022. Great. So not too far away, but you're going to make us wait a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Well, my publisher is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And then the other one will probably be the end of that year. Okay. So we don't have a date on that yet. I haven't finished it yet. And they're so far in advance right now. They're just letting me go and they've got me penciled in. (laughs) That's great. That's nice to be able to work that way. (laughs) It is. If listeners would like to connect with you, how can they connect with you? Well, my website is annmulligan.com and it's spelled A-N-E. I know I'm weird, one N. Uh, And then I'm on Amazon. I have an Amazon page. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm everywhere. Okay. So you should be easy to find, especially with the unique spelling of your name. It comes in handy to have it that way. It does. It, I'm the only one out there, so it works. <laughs> and at least you're still Anne with an E, right? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Do you have any last words for the listeners? Well, I hope they all get the books. I love this series and the characters that I've made up, but I also love to hear from readers on what they like to read, what sparks their interest. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Anne. It's really been a pleasure, and we thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Thank you, Liz, so much. I really appreciate it. Unfortunately, we are out of time. 
with Anne for today. She was a delightful guest, and we will probably bring her back when one of her other books releases. You'll want to be sure to read the entire series because they're all fabulous. She is just so good and so funny. Trust me, she is funny, and those characters, you are going to fall in love with them. So if you would like to find out more about Anne or On Sugar Hill, or if you'd like a handy link in order to purchase On Sugar Hill or In High Cotton, you can head over to my website, which is liztolsma.com. You'll find the show notes over there with all of that information right there for you. So you don't have to go searching very far or very hard to find out more details. It's right there. Our guest next week is a really special one to me. She is a very dear friend of mine. We got to know each other a few years ago at a Christian writing conference in Southern California, and we have just developed a wonderful friendship. We have found that we have so much in common. It's absolutely crazy, and I love her to bits and pieces. She is one of the most caring, giving people that you will ever meet, and that is Sandy Barella. She joins us next week. She is the owner and founder of Celebrate Lit. They do marketing for authors. She also has a small publishing house, and she wears a thousand different hats. She is one very talented lady. You go to her with a question about marketing or something like that, and she'll have ideas just rolling off the top of her head. And her publishing company, Celebrate Lit, is in the middle of putting out a brand new series of books. They are by different authors, but they all have the same theme. The series is called Ever After Mysteries, and they are fairy tales turned 1920s mysteries. The concept was amazing. I happen to be one of the authors in that, but we're going to be talking about some of the earlier authors and about the series in general and in general what it's like to run a publishing house. So it's not all about me. Don't worry about that. She is fabulous. The series is amazing. The idea is out of this world. It was so much fun to write. It's so much fun to read these as they're coming out. There's going to be one each month. The first one came out in July, and it's going to run until February. The covers are stunning. It's just a great series. So you're going to want to be sure to tune in next week for my chat with Sandy Barella. We have a great time. So much fun. Too much fun, probably. But you'll want to be sure to tune in for that. Find out more about Celebrate Lit, about what it takes to run a publishing house, and about the Ever After Mystery Series. And she has a very special announcement for us. Breaking news coming from Sandy Barella and Celebrate Lit right here on Christian Historical Fiction Talk. So don't miss out on that. That's coming up next week. I hope you'll join me for that then. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. <music>